morning, church family. I hope you are all awake this morning after our late night out together. The Christmas tree lighting is quickly becoming one of my favorite traditions here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, and one I am so thankful to be a part of. Thus, for those of you who were here last evening, thank you so much for coming out, as it was wonderful to fellowship with you all. With that being said, our text this morning is 1 John chapter 3, and we'll be in verses 4 through 10. And yes, you heard that right. We will be looking at seven verses this morning. I can't remember the last time I preached from this many verses all at once. So buckle up, everyone, as this morning John turns his attention away from focusing on what is in store for his Christian readers and instead begins to focus on, is on what Christ has already done for them. And what I mean by that is throughout chapters 1 and 2, John consistently prompted his Christian readers to continue to abide in Jesus Christ. Because if they do, then in the future they will receive the promised eternal life. That at the return of Jesus Christ, they will have confidence and not shrink from him in shame. For when Jesus Christ appears, the children of God shall be like him, for they shall see him as he is. And those are all glorious truths for the children of God. And each should prompt us and motivate us to abide in Jesus Christ in the here and now and to purify ourselves of the world until Jesus Christ comes again and completes that work in us. And yet all of those aforementioned truths... They prompt us or motivate us to purify ourselves in the here and now because of what awaits us at the return of Jesus Christ. However, today John begins to share that not only should we, as the children of God, abide in Jesus Christ and love each other and practice righteousness and purity and holiness at this present time because of the future glories that will be revealed to us, But just as importantly, we as the children of God should also stand firm in Christ, love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and walk in the purity of Christ because of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished for us. For Jesus Christ has already come, Christian, to take sin away and to destroy the works of the devil. Which brings us to our thesis statement this morning, or the overall theme of the message this morning which is this, Christian. Jesus Christ came to take away sin and to destroy the works of the devil. Thus, do not be deceived, Christian, for the children of God will not practice lawlessness. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. Jesus Christ came to take away sin and to destroy the works of the devil. Thus, do not be deceived, Christian, for the children of God will not practice lawlessness. And again, our text this morning is 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. The Apostle John, he writes, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. 
Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning knowing that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, in the world, into the world to destroy the works of the devil, to take away sin, to destroy the eternal consequences of sin that we deserve and that we would face outside of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ came into the world to save us from our sin and reconcile us back to God the Father through eternity. As to glory to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, forever and ever. Father, as we prepare our hearts and our minds for this Christmas season, let us dwell on Christ, God himself who came into this world to dwelt among us to save us from our sins so that we can be called the children of the Most High God. Father, I pray that the congregation this morning, oh, that they have eyes to see this passage, ears to hear this passage, and a heart to receive it, that they leave here this morning with a desire to practice righteousness, just as our God is righteous. Father, give me the words to speak. Let them be clear understandable, bold, said with conviction and humility. Let them be filled with truth, Father, and let them glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning is this. Point number one, sin is the problem for humanity. And thus Jesus Christ came into the world to take sin away. Sin is the problem for humanity, and thus Jesus Christ came into the world to take sin away. Verses 4 through 7. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Now John wastes no time getting to the problem here, which he states in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. For that is the problem, church. That is the problem for humanity That is the problem for creation. That is the problem for everyone and everything. The problem is always sin. For sin is the cause and the reason for the mess we are in as a society. It is the adversary and the opponent that we face each day. It is the obstacle that we as humanity have standing before us. And thus John writes in verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, 
or everyone who habitually, continually, and consistently practices sin in their lives, they practice lawlessness. Because, verse 4, sin is lawlessness. Now, James wrote in his epistle that whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Paul wrote in Romans 14 that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. However, John offers his readers this clear and yet scathing definition of sin as he writes in verse 4 that sin is lawlessness. And the thrust, the weight behind this definition is not merely that sin is just some minor error that someone makes in their life. Or that sin is just some slight imperfection that someone has. Or that sin is just the simple recognition that, hey, we all make mistakes. But what John is describing here when he states that sin is lawlessness is that sin is a rebellion against God. Or thus for man to practice sin in in their lives to continually, openly, and habitually sin. It is for man to openly reject the will of God. It is for man to candidly renounce the law of God, and it is for man to brazenly repudiate the supremacy of God. It is, as Romans 1 put it, to know of God, but not to honor him as God or give thanks to him, but instead to exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. O church, to make sin the practice of our lives, it is to be dead in sin. It is to follow the course of the world and to openly follow Satan, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2. And the result of this practice, the result of lawlessness, the result of rejecting God, his law, and his righteous decrees, Romans 1 says those who practice such things, they deserve to die. And therein lies the problem with sin. For the wage of sin, the cost of sin, church, it is death, Romans 6.23. Thus those who reject the law of God, who rebel against the will of God, and who openly walk in the ways of the devil, they have death, judgment, wrath, damnation waiting for them in eternity. For that is the sober reality of the sin problem, church. And you might be sitting there this morning thinking, Man, I thought since it was the Christmas season, we would at least get a sermon that was joyful and hopeful and uplifting. Instead, with Pastor West, we get sin, lawlessness, and mankind deserving of eternal damnation. And a Merry Christmas to you as well, Pastor. However, church, please listen carefully. We are not going to be as joyful We are not going to be as hopeful or as merry as we should at Christmas over the gift that is Jesus Christ if we don't grasp exactly how atrocious our sin problem is or exactly why Jesus Christ did break into this world. To which John writes in verse 5, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. 
You know that Jesus Christ came into the world as Emmanuel, as God with us, Isaiah 7, and made his dwelling amongst us, John 1, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, Philippians 2, in order to take away sins. As Jesus Christ appeared to put away sin, Hebrews 9, by suffering for sins once and for all, 1 Peter 3, to save not the righteous but the sinner. Mark 2, that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has come to take away the sins of the world. Thus, why are we Christians so joyful and so hopeful and so merry at Christmas? Because the God of the universe has provided for our greatest need. As D.A. Carson put it, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, and our death. And so he sent us a savior. And that savior is Jesus Christ, who came to take away the sins of the world and to save us from our sin. And how did Christ do this? How did Christ accomplish this? What made him qualified to be able to do this? Verse 5, because in him there is no sin. Church, Jesus Christ was able to take our sins away because in him there is no sin. Because he committed no sin, 1 Peter 2. Because he was tempted in all things yet without sin, Hebrews 4. Because he was unblemished by sin and spotless of sin, 1 Peter 1. And thus for our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. God, so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and stand justified before God the Father. Thus, thanks be to God this Christmas season and forevermore for the gift of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God who came into the world to save us from our sin. Oh, to God be the glory for the gift of Jesus Christ. Therefore, make no mistake, church. Verse 6, no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. And this is not rocket science. For those who have been saved from the eternal consequences of sin and cleansed of their sin by the one who takes sin away and who is himself sinless, those Christians then, they don't just blindly or gladly or willingly continue to make sin the practice of their lives because that would be counter to literally everything that makes up their new nature, a nature that is now in Jesus Christ. Or to put it another way, H.I. Ironside told the story of a man who lived a gross life of sin. However, after his conversion, one of his old friends said to him, You know, I pity you, since you were a man that used to be such a high flyer. But now you have settled down. You go to church, you stay at home, you read your Bible, you pray, and you never want to have good times anymore. And so the man replied to his friend, Oh, you don't understand. I get drunk whenever I want to. I go to the theater and see raunchy shows whenever I want to. 
I play cards and gamble whenever I want to. His friend replied, I don't understand. I thought you had to give those things up to be a Christian. To which the man replied, I did. For the Lord has taken the want to away from me when he saved my soul and he made me a new creation in Jesus Christ. For when we are born of God, church, we receive a new life. And that life has its own new nature, a nature that hates sin and impurity and doesn't want to do it anymore. For instead, it finds its delight and joy in the holiness and goodness of God. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. Thus do not be deceived, brother Christian, sister Christian, those who have been born again, saved by Christ, forgiven by Christ, and reconciled back to God the Father by Jesus Christ, they will not abide in the devil. They will not pattern their lives after the evil one or habitually bear the fruit of the world, for it is simply an impossibility. Instead, those who are saved by Christ, they will abide in Christ, they will delight in the, in the accomplishment of Jesus Christ, and they will habitually bear the fruit that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. Thus, the question is, church, what kind of fruit are you currently bearing in your life? For are you abiding in the righteousness of Christ, the one who rescued you from your sin? Or are you abiding in the works of the devil, the one who is the originator of sin? Which takes us to point number two. Jesus Christ has defeated sin, the works of the devil. Therefore, those who possess the seed of God will practice righteousness and love each other. Jesus Christ has defeated sin, the works of the devil. Therefore, those who possess the seed of God will practice righteousness and love each other. Verses 8 through 10. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now John closed verse 7 with, Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous, as Christ is righteous. And we see the flip side of that statement here in verse 8. As verse 8 reads, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Now how can John be so sure of this? That whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil? Well, because, verse 8, it is the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. Now, John is not saying here that, like God, the devil is eternal or everlasting or anything like that. But what John is communicating here is that the devil is merely the originator of sin. That the devil is the original rejecter of God, the original rebel against God, the original revolter against God, and the one who brought sin into the world. Therefore, as the originator of sin, it is the devil then who has been sinning from the beginning of the beginning of sin. 
And thus every sin and all the effects of sin that we see in the here and now, they all find their origin in the devil, since it is he who brought sin into the world. And thus, since Satan is the originator of sin, the serpent of old, the lawless one, the accuser, the adversary, the tempter, the dragon, the evil one, the enemy, the Son of God appeared, verse 8, to destroy the works of the devil. And what exactly are these works of the devil, you might be wondering? Well, quite simply, they are Satan's efforts to tempt and seduce and attack and mislead and deceive humanity away from the perfect will of God and into sin, into the trap that leads to eternal torture and pain and judgment and wrath. For the devil, he is in the sin business, the business of getting you to sin, to turn from God, and to perish eternally, for that is the work, the goal, and the desire of the devil. And thus Jesus Christ came into the world, verse 8, to destroy the works of the devil, to ultimately crush the serpent's head and defeat the sin problem once and for all. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did. He came, he saw, and he conquered, for he came into this fallen and broken and sinful world as truly God and truly man. He saw the cost of our redemption, which was his own perfect life, And he paid it, the righteous one dying for the unrighteous. And by doing so, he conquered sin, he conquered death, and he destroyed the works of the devil by atoning for the sin of mankind. Thus, Christian, we no longer have to face the eternal punishment in which we deserve for our sin because Jesus Christ, he has already bore it on a cross at Calvary. And on that cross, death was swallowed up in victory, and thus we as the children can cry out, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he has delivered us from sin, for he has defeated the works of the devil and has reconciled us back into fellowship with a holy God through eternity. Amen? However, our justification, or the fact that we as Christians are now saved from our sin, And deemed righteous before God the Father via our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not all that John has in mind here. And we know this because he writes in verse 9, Those who are born of God, they don't make a practice of sinning. And this is true because those who are born of God those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and who are regenerate and justified... They are also now being sanctified, for they are no longer dead in their sin, or controlled by sin, or slaves to sin, or dominated by sin, but instead the children of God, they, verse 9, have God's seed abiding in them, and they cannot keep on sinning because they have been born of God. Now this verse has led to a lot of confusion amongst Christians. Because some have taken it to mean that once you become a Christian, you somehow no longer sin, like at all. However, we know this isn't true, church. Because as John has already communicated when speaking about the false teachers who left the church, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 1 John chapter 1, 
verses 8 and 10. Thus, John is insane here in verse 9 that once an individual becomes a Christian, that they no longer sin, like at all. Instead, John is addressing those in chapter 1, verse 6, who don't necessarily deny their sin, but who are callous and unconcerned and indifferent about their sin, who say they have fellowship with God, all while they comfortably and unrepentantly walk in sin. And oh, the danger of this type of deception, church. I read a story this week about a man named John Elliott who found himself huddled on a cabin floor while slowly freezing to death. Elliot was stationed high in the Rockies in southwestern Alberta, and outside a blizzard raged. Elliot had logged many miles that day, traveling through the deep snow of the mountain passes. However, while he was checking for avalanches, dusk and exhaustion overcame him, and he decided to hole up in a nearby cabin. However, being somewhat dazed with fatigue, he did not light a fire or remove his wet clothing. Thus, as the blizzard blasted through the cracks in that old cabin, on those old cabin walls, the sleepy ranger sank into oblivion, paralyzed by the pleasure of the storm's icy caress. Suddenly, however, his dog sprang into action and with unrelenting barks, finally managed to rouse his near comatose friend. The dog was Elliot's constant companion, a St. Bernard, one of a long line of dogs famous for their heroics in times of crisis. If that dog hadn't been with me, I'd be dead today, Elliot wrote. You see, when you're freezing to death, you actually feel warm all over and don't wake up because it feels so good. Thus, this story certainly illustrates the spiritual condition of many people today, for they are cold oblivious and sadly indifferent to their sin, all while it is killing them. Thus, let me ask, are any of you this morning sinking slowly into oblivion? Are any of you this morning paralyzed by the pleasures of your sin's icy caress? Are any of you this morning completely indifferent and oblivious toward the indecency of your actions and your rebellion against God? For John writes in verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Church, the scriptures are clear. There are only two types of people in this world. And John unapologetically lays them out here in verse 10. For they are the children of God and they are the children of the devil. And how do you know which one you are? John says it's real simple. As the children of God, presently, they practice righteousness and they love their brothers. Whereas the child of Satan, presently, they practice sin and they hate their brothers. It is just that clear. It is just that simple. Thus, if you look at your life this morning, church, it will give you the truth. It will give you the evidence you need to determine who you are a child of this morning. For if you see a pattern of righteousness, a pursuit of holiness, and a desire to love your brother in Christ, then you can rest assured that you are, in fact, a child of the Most High God. However, if you see a rebellion toward the things of God, if you see indifference toward sin, if 
you see a consistent hate toward the children of God, then it is clear you are not a child of God, but you are a child of the devil. Therefore, church, with those two ways of life in mind, the question is, what evidence is your life presently bearing? Now, as we close this morning, I will begin with the non-Christian who is here first. However, this conclusion this morning is not just for the individual who knows that they aren't a Christian and knows that they haven't repented of their sin. But this conclusion this morning, it is also for the individual who is currently sitting in the pew this morning who thinks they are a Christian, but who in reality is not. Who nonchalantly came to church this morning thinking, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yes, I've been saved. I mean, I go to church and my parents go to church and I was baptized as a child and I now have the family Bible. But who in reality are indifferent toward their sins who are indifferent toward their greed, indifferent toward their anger, jealousy, pride, dissensions, drunkenness, and boasting, and who consistently practice and enjoy the paralyzing pleasures of their sin's icy caress. Because if you are sitting there this morning, and I just described your way of life, then it does not matter what you call yourself. It doesn't matter if you come to church weekly. It doesn't matter if you now have the family Bible that has been passed down from generation to generation. Because what is evident, what is obvious, is that you are not a child of God. But instead you belong to the devil, for you are his child and part of his family. And non-Christian, I share that with you this morning, not to stand up here and condemn you but because I so desire for you today to repent of your sins and to eternally join the family of God. And how is this possible, to join the family of God? Well, today you must place your faith in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, the one who broke into the world, into time, into space, as truly God and truly man, and who made his dwelling amongst us. For God himself came into this world as Jesus Christ and dwelt with his people. However, Jesus Christ didn't just come into the world just to be with us, for Jesus Christ came into this world to save us, and he saved us by living the life that we could not live live by living a life that was sinless and holy and righteous and by perfectly fulfilling the law of God for the children of God. However, Jesus Christ not only fulfilled the law for us, he also bore the punishment, our punishment for breaking of the law. For Jesus Christ gave himself up for us and was crucified on a cross at Calvary and died in our place. However, being that Jesus Christ was without sin, sin and death, they had no claim over him. They had no power over him, for they couldn't keep Jesus Christ, the God-man, dead. And thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, taking sins away, destroying the works of the devil, and offering eternal life to all who place their trust in him. 
Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you repent of your sin. Let today be the day that you turn from your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. The only one who can forgive you of your sin. The only one who paid the price of your sin. Who died for your sin and can clothe you in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. And today will be the day the power of sin, it will be broken in your life. Today will be the day that you will be dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. Redeemed, regenerated, and born again. Born with a new nature, a new heart, and a new desire to serve your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you place your trust in Christ and join the family of God through eternity. And to the Christian who is here today, Brother Christian, Sister Christian, we will close this morning in light of really the first half of the book of 1 John. As 1 John kind of naturally divides itself into two distinct sections, the first of which we wrap up today, believe it or not. Now, if you've been paying attention, and I pray that you all have, you've noticed that the focus of 1 John thus far has been on John exhorting his readers not to walk in darkness, but in the light. To not be deceived by the lies of the Antichrist, but to instead abide in the truths of the gospel, the truths that they have heard from the very beginning. And similarly, John tells his Christian readers today in verse 6, that no one who abides in him, that no one who abides in Christ, keeps on sinning. Thus, do not let yourself be deceived this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian. For any sin that remains in your life, it is a big deal. You see, Christian, as the world around us gets darker and darker, The temptation is to begin to view our sin as not quite as evil or not quite as wicked as they really are. The temptation is to begin to view our sins as things that are funny or playful or maybe even fun. Things that we pull out when we want to have a good time or blow off some steam. However, here is the reality about your sin, church. Jesus Christ, his attitude toward your sin... It was not one that was indifferent or nonchalant or unbiased. But Jesus Christ broke into the world in order to seek and destroy the works of the devil. Not to make nice with the works of the devil. Not to excuse the works of the devil. Not to cover up the works of the devil. But to destroy, to conquer, and to render sin inoperative. For that is why the Son of God appeared. Thus, if that is why Jesus Christ appeared to destroy sin, then why would any Christian feel as though that they can view their sin as if it is some kind of cute or cuddly house pet. Because the reality is, Christian, your sin, it is not cute, it is not cuddly, and it does not love you. In fact, it hates you, it wants to attack you, and ultimately, it desires to kill you. Gary Richmond, a former zookeeper, wrote that raccoons go through a glandular change at about 24 months of age. And after that, they often attack their owners. Now, since a 30-pound raccoon can be equal to that of a 100-pound dog, Richmond noted that he once felt compelled to share this change with a young woman named Julie. 
who possessed a pet raccoon. And Julie listened politely as Richmond told her about the coming danger. However, Julie replied, Oh, it will be different for me. Bandit, he would never hurt me. Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for severe facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason. Bandit was thus released into the wild soon after. Sin, too, often comes dressed in an adorable guise, and we play with it, and we say, surely it will be different for me. However, that is never the case. John Stott wrote that the first step to holiness is to recognize the sinfulness of sin. Church, I tell you this this morning, not because I want to steal your joy, not because I want to extinguish your happiness or rain on your parade, but I want your joy to be made complete in Jesus Christ. I want your joy to be made complete in his perfect life, in his perfect death, in his perfect resurrection, and in his perfect commands. Thus do not be indifferent towards your sins in the here and now, church, for they will only suck the joy out of your life. For you are no longer a child of Satan, but you are a child of the Most High God and the seed of God. It now abides in you. Therefore, blessed is the man, happy is the man, joyful is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Therefore, Christian, I am pleading with you, seek pure, holy, and righteous lives that delight in the ways of Christ rather than in the ways of the world. For blessed is the man, happy is the man, joyful is the man who walks in the righteous ways of Christ. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body stop trying to find our sense of joy from the world. For the world does not offer joy. The devil does not offer joy. Instead, they offer counterfeit gods that lead to death, wrath, destruction, and judgment. For it is the reason that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the sinless one, into the world to destroy the works of the devil and to take sin away. Therefore, we as the children of God should no longer be keen to abide in sin, but instead we should be keen to reject it, to run from it, and ultimately to mortify it. Thus, let us as a church body this morning taste and see that the Lord is good, that the precepts of the Lord are right, and that the commandments of the Lord are pure. Help us, Father, to find our sense of joy abiding in Jesus Christ. For it is in Christ where our joy will ultimately be made complete. Let's pray. Father, as your children, as the children of God, those who are now dead to sin and alive in Jesus Christ, our joy is is found in Christ. It is not in holding on to any sin that we might think is fun on the weekends or that we do late at night or that we hide on our telephones or cell phones or computers. Our ultimate joy, now and forevermore, comes in abiding in Jesus Christ. Trusting in his perfect life, death, 
and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be justified, stand righteous before the God of the universe and to walk in his righteousness through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we no longer want to do the things of the world, but we want to be faithful in Christ. Father, if there are any things that we are indifferent to in the here and now, make them aware to us. And help us, Father, to run from them, to turn from them, and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.